0: Ecclesiastes, if you're not there, please turn there. Um, Just to catch you up really quickly, on Ecclesiastes, this is our third week into a book that has a refrain that goes something like this, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The first week, what we talked about is, is why Solomon appears so dreary and depressing in this book. And the reason he does is this that Solomon is, is taking on the view of someone who imagines that, the, that there's nothing beyond the sky, right? In the first chapter, he kept using this phrase that he uses throughout the book, and it, he just says, underneath the sun. Everything that happens under the sun. As if there's no God in the heavens, as if there's no one to intervene uh, in the affairs of this world. What would that kind of life look like? And, and so imagine an earth without a heaven. And that's, that's what Solomon does throughout the book, and he addresses different areas. Um, and then he shows us, this was week two, what that would look like in regards to, to pleasure. right? Solomon kind of gave himself fully over this very wise king who listened to God and had a heart after God. He said, uh, when God said, what, "What can I give you, if anything?" He says, "A listening heart." I want a heart that listens to you. But even though he heard clearly from God, he did not obey or respond to God. And he said, "And his, his heart sought after many things." Right? So he said, "I'm going I'm to build. A, I'm going to build beautiful buildings. I'm going to have many wives. I'm going to have many servants. I'm going to have gardens." We have everything that my heart desires. And at the end of that, he says, and this was meaningless. This was without purpose. And, and one of the verses my dad used was later in, in the book, in chapter 3, um, where it talks about God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. He has put eternity in our hearts and so we, we seek to be satisfied. It's this strange thing Especially for people that say there's nothing beyond the sky. There's no, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no God. Um, and then, and then we, we have this strange passion for eternity. We have this strange passion to be absolutely satisfied. with some, Give me something that will make me so happy and never let me down. And so Solomon sought that with everything he had. And he found that that on his own, he could not achieve that. This week, what we're going to look at is the idea of work. Um, How does work play into this? So, um, if you'll stand with me, please, um, because you're looking a little tired. Um, We're going to read from Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verses 17, going through verse 26. Solomon writes, So I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was so grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled under the sun for, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is painful, is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest." This, too, is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, so work, toil, in the words of Solomon. Um, we're going to use the word work, even though the word toil here is is far more expansive than just work. It's literally whatever whatever kind of your your life's labor is, um, and that is helpful to think of it that way because all people kind of have different works. Um, you know, the classic example we we'll use is like the stay-at-home mom is very much toiling. <laughs> um, and so simply, so don't, you don't have to just think of work um, as something that you get compensated by money for, like you're hired an employee. Um, but it literally is whatever you are employing your time to do. Okay? And this is something that we have to learn in life. Um, this last quarter, I was asked to write a short essay on my, what my first job was. And my first job was... My brother and sister and I uh, older brother, older sister and I would sell freeze pops at the end of our driveway for twenty five cents, and so we would sit out there with little cooler um, hot summer days and I just remember doing this one summer, and it was toil um, because we also lived on a street that no cars really came by, so it was this brilliant on the part of my parents. Um, so we would just... We would sit out there, and then all the neighborhood kids would gather around. And so we would just be, you know, skateboarding or throwing footballs, and then, and then a car would turn on the street, and everyone would be like, A CAR! And then they'd all run behind and just sit there, which had to be the most intimidating thing for someone driving by. seeing so like this little pathetic sign that just said 25 cents for a freeze pop. They're all called otter pops. Um... But that, that was my first job. The, the reason I think my... Well, there's probably multiple reasons my parents had us do that. Um, one of those reasons was probably just to get us out of the house <laughs> and occupy us. But there's things that you do as a parent to slowly teach your kids what it means to work, what it means to labor, whether it was a, a little job like that or whether it's emptying the dishwasher or, or mowing the lawn. And I remember even with those specific tasks... At a very young age, I was very aware of what was easier and what was harder. And I knew my brother was, too, because he would always have me mow the backyard. And he would mow the front yard. He would always <laughs> empty the top of the dishwasher, and I would have to empty the silverware. Right, So so you're, you're aware <laughs> that, that there are those things that are easier and those things that are harder. And you start figuring out how to live your life in such a way that your toil is not an absolute burden as a child. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? and you, you have this with kids. It's amazing that you as a parent could do everything for them, right? You don't have to have them empty the dishwasher. You don't have to, like, have them mow the lawn. You, you, you are able to do that yourself. But what you're going to do is you're going to invest in your child... To teach them how to be a part of a family, right? And that's that's ultimately what toil and work is, is the way in which you serve and live in a relationship with other people. But you don't see that as a child, and so that's why it usually looks like this. So you say, "Little Johnny," well, use myself as an example. Little Daniel, right? Little Daniel, will you? go out and clean up dog messes. I'd be like, <laughs> I cannot believe you would ask me to do that. Do you realize that it's taking my time right, to, to toil in the backyard? And literally, it was this huge conflict, especially dog messes. That was a big deal. Um, but we we have to learn. And, and so... Another lesson we use to teach kids is we ask this. It's very simple. What are you going to be when you grow up? And, you know, honestly, the best answer would probably be, I'm going to be the best Daniel I possibly could be. But but that wouldn't be a satisfying answer because we, we are becoming something, and the way we become something is how we use our time, right? How, with, the, with the time we are given how we use that. And so we, we ultimately ask kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? We're thinking, what steps are you going to take to become a man or to become a woman? Right? What will that look like for you? Well, as we know, work is not something that is just simple, right? It's not simply an exchange of something I do for you and something that you receive or something you do for me and something I receive. Um, but the word um, Solomon uses here, toil, and then, and then he, he even emphasizes that with, with starting by saying, I looked, so I, I hated life, and the work that is done under the sun, and so, so Solomon says, okay, so I, I see, I see the need for this, I see the need for building, investing, doing that, but, but he saw it, and, and he said, literally, the word hate there is the same used, Word used throughout the Old Testament as enemy. So and so, I saw life as being against me because of having to work, because of what my my toil meant. Um, it's an idea that comes from from after the fall, right? When when Adam and Eve uh, choose to disobey God, and and the, the word toil there is is used when. When God comes and he says, "Now your work will be a burden to you," in chapter three of Genesis. And, and what this causes is not only in disobedience against God, where we, were we, from that point on going to live against God, as if there's nothing under the sun, right? but in living against God, we're also going to live against all His plans for our lives. One of those things being work, which we 'll talk about more, and so what we see is is what we are meant to occupy our time with is something that we 're just inherently going to rebel against okay and 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 that 's what we we share this conversation with one another when we talk about entering the real world. No one has ever meant by that statement oh it 's going to be fun." what they mean is. Get ready for the world. You're graduating from college. Well, get ready for the real world. Which means, oh, you thought that was bad. Well, let me tell you, it ain't bad at all <laughs> compared to, right, for the real world. Eight hours plus a day of striving. You know, it's it's incredible once you leave college and you thought of all the, the griping you did about having to do homework. <laughs> and then you actually enter the workforce, and and you're like, give me college again. (laughs) So, how we understand this. Well, first we're going to look at what Solomon said, what was so displeasing to him, what made him feel like the world was against him, and then his response to that. There was four things that made Solomon feel like the world... Uh, the work he had to do was actually an enemy towards him. And the first is this, that the fruit of his labor would only be experienced or enjoyed for a short amount of time. So when Solomon looked at his life, he saw his mortality, and it, it, it caused him to wonder why he would work so hard if life was so short. And and I think about this in terms of when we, you know, when we work, usually we get compensated for that, we get paid. Um, And it would be agonizing, it would be depressing if every time you made a purchase, you thought how much time it made for you to make that purchase, right? Just don't do this. You're going to go to a very dark place if you do that, right? If every time you eat a meal at a restaurant, you're like, that took me a whole hour and a half, To pay for that. (laughs) Right? And and so you don't even want to start thinking of how much time it it takes to, like, pay for the the interest on your loan when you buy a house, right? Before you actually start paying for the... Right? (laughs) Like, we're going to a dark place because because you're like, for how short amount of time that was, right? I spend how much on this? And then I, I maybe get 15 minutes of eating that sandwich. <laughs> you know like how fleeting that is. And I'm going to reference two places in the Bible here. One's a story and then and then another one is is where it reflects upon this and in, in James 4 chapter James chapter 4 verses 13 and 14 it says this. It says now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there and carry business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are like a mist that appears and then vanishes. And it's reflecting kind of on the same thing is talking about, where he says, you know, we, we make plans. And yet, y- 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 how certain are those plans? but most of us don't live in a way that if our lives were taken from us at this moment we would think they were worthwhile right and and so so tragedies become exceptionally tragic for us when we start reflecting upon ourselves right several weeks ago when when a car crash took the lives of students from Olympic High School and and that's tragic and what we say is we say their life was cut short right and it is at the, in the age of 16, 17, 18, whatever they were. But your life, your life is short. <laughs> your life is a mist that appears and then it vanishes. And, and this, this raised this tension for Solomon, going, Man, he's lived this, this long life. He goes, still, however many years he has, 80, 90, he goes, still, I've not been able to enjoy what I've toiled for. In, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story, a parable Jesus shares about a man who um, they called the rich fool, a man who was a, a farmer and had a bumper crop one year and had so much grain that he realized that he could retire. And so he said he built bigger cisterns to hold the grain in and he put it all there and he says, now I will, I will enjoy the rest of my years. And it says that very night, God came to him and said, You fool. You've invested everything in storing up something for yourself. But, but what you've stored for yourself, you won't be able to enjoy. You've pretended like you could just hold on to it. And yet, that's not the way it works. And so Solomon sees that and he says, what is the point of work? If everything I work for is so short. Don't worry, there's only three more points. We won't get fully depressed before we go into the hopeful part of this. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the second thing he mentions is this, that he says, I will leave my possessions to someone else. This is true in a, in a couple ways. One is that um, your possessions ultimately aren't your own, even if you think they are. Um, they, they aren't your own, even though you think they are, partly because, again, you are mortal. And, and the other thing is, he says, you, you pass, you leave what you've earned, what you've spent so much time. Gaining and gathering to people, you can't be completely certain how they will handle it. How will, how will your memory be treasured? Um, you know, for Solomon, this was this was uh, something that he probably considered a lot. He had a son by the name of Rehoboam, and and his son, after Solomon died, Solomon being the wealthiest king that ever lived in Israel, immediately after he died, the way his his son treated. The kingdom made the kingdom be separated into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, which persisted in that way after Solomon's death. And the way that happened was, was um, Solomon, who had spent his whole life, literally, the more he lived, the more he oppressed the people around him. That's kind of the way he lived. Um, instead of obeying God and serving the people, he disobeyed God and oppressed the people. And so after he died, the people came to Rehoboam, his son, and they said this. They said, Will you serve us? Because your father Solomon didn't. And, and so he went to his counselors who were older than him, and the counselors that were older than him said, Serve them well, and they will give you their allegiance. And then he went to the younger men than himself, and they said this. They said, Go back to the people and tell them this. My my father's waist is not as thick as my pinky finger. He put a heavy load on you, I'll put a heavier load on you. And and what Rehoboam did is he went back and told them that, and the kingdom divided. All that Solomon had worked for. How would it be used? The third thing is this. He said that there is, there is sadness. And literally what he, he says in Ecclesiastes is this. He, he says in verse uh, 20, So my heart began to despair. But literally, the word there is, is sadness or grief. And he says, I gave my heart over to grief. And that that's, was his approach. He goes, what do I do if I don't know why I'm doing this? Right? If I don't know who's this going to? If I realize that no matter how, how much I earn or whatever I do, there's, there's always going to be something that springs up and it's going to be taken from me or, or some sadness is going to hit me. Like, this guy is not in a happy space and he, so then I give myself over to grief because eventually there will be grief for me anyway. The fourth and final thing is this. He says, <coughs> at the very end, I don't see meaning in this. And the words he uses then is, it's like a chasing after the wind. Like, like all I see in life is as if it's this hamster wheel I'm on. Like, I'm just running and running and running. And I know some of you have felt like that. You go to sleep and then you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm here again. <laughs> like, I just left work. And I'm back. Right? That toil that you you give and what what do you get? What is the point of that? And he says, meaningless. So we made it. <laughs> that, that was what Solomon's perspective was. And he said that if if all there is is life under the sun, and I'm just because I'm just looking at this real reasonably, that that's that's what I'm experiencing. That was his his life experience that he's sharing with us. But then after this, Solomon takes on another voice. And, and this was really, really cool studying. I tell you what, like Nate talked about Bible study methods class. This is the stuff when you get into it, you're like, wow. <laughs> because what Solomon takes on another voice, so he's been speaking this wh- whole time in a voice of, of um, someone who doesn't acknowledge God at all, doesn't acknowledge that, that, when, that you can be called because there is a caller... Right, he, he takes on the voice of Genesis. And the, the way we know he takes on the voice of Genesis is because he uses the same words over and over and over again that is used in, in the, the narrative of the first two chapters of Genesis. Um, literally, it's like he's, he's not quoting, he's paraphrasing Genesis 1 and 2 in, in a very simple way here. And so he goes into, he says, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. And so the word better and satisfaction there, uh, both is good. And it's the same word used throughout Genesis 1, where where, uh, six times God says, and he saw what he created, and it was good. And the word man there is literally, like we know, Adam, right? (laughs) Adam can do nothing better (laughs) than to see the good in it. Right to see that, that one it was created and it was created good. So, so this is this is literally what it, it, the way it reads here. It says, "There's nothing more good than to see that work is good." Addressing Adam, right? Like, there's nothing more good for you than to see that work is good. And so that's that's the first point that that Solomon offers us in saying, "Okay." I'm shifting voices from this perspective. Everything is just a, a hamster wheel, cha- like a merry-go-round. Just going around and around around. I'm getting more and more sick because of it. And then he he trans and he says th- and then he gives us these things that says, "Okay, I want you to I want you to <laughs> lift up your eyes now." And the first thing is, "I want you to realize that work is good." Work isn't bad. And and you could you could be wondering like w- <sighs> why? If, if, I, if I'm living with this experience of, of toil is a burden to me, I just go to sleep and wake up again, go to sleep and wake up again. How will you convince me that it's good? And, and so that he takes on this voice of Genesis 1 that first says, okay, God is the first worker. Right, Adam? <laughs> so we, we look at Genesis 1, and we have God God creating. So God is a worker, and then god creates a worker right labor and toil isn't a, isn't a part of the curse it's a part of the blessing <laughs> the blessing of how you use your time so so god is a good worker and he's calling us to be good workers and good workers and, and the first command he gives is is to be fruitful and multiply so so to create and toil and work in such a way that see. In this this language of multiply, spread out across the earth, it's it's all of a sudden, it's not this way centered. It's not, I'm looking at myself, but he goes, I'm giving you work, I'm giving you toil, and so the world will be blessed through you. That is the means by which the world will be impacted and blessed by your existence. Because think about it, how else is that going to happen? You sitting on the couch... Eating potato chips isn't blessing a whole lot of people. <laughs> Unless it's downtime for you to go back out and work again, right? Like, whatever that is, like, God has, has made us in such a way that, that he's given us the ability to go out and make a difference. It's good. And, that's, and God, God did that by making a difference himself, the ultimate difference, which is by making the world. And making you in such a way that you can contribute to that. This isn't something to be avoided or looked past. It is good in itself if it's used to its good end. Right? And th- this is really, really powerful. Because, because our view of it typically makes us constantly look past it. Are you, are you following with me here? We look past it. So we look to what? We look to the weekend. Or we look to clocking out. Or we look to retirement. That, that's sort of our relationship with work is we're, we're always looking to what, what we can do afterwards and what you're going to do is you're going to lose 70% of your life looking ahead to something else. And God goes, don't look to something else. Look to what you're doing. See that I made you to do that. And, and so the second thing is this, that not only... Is work good, but it, it is a means by which we are given gifts by God. Work is not just good, but it is a means by which we are given gifts by God. Things that you will miss out on if you do not work. And you see that. Man, I, I, I know people who, who try as hard as they can not to work. <laughs> it's true. And, and when you try as hard as you can not to work, you are going to be missing out on on both ways, God has gifted you, and both ways, God, and, and also ways God is wanting to gift you. Here in the book of Ecclesiastes it says, to, "To the man who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness." Literally what this is saying is the one who sees God's good plan, because the word here is that same word in Genesis, good." right? The man who pleases God. The man who sees the good in what God is giving, God then gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. So how do we, how do we get wisdom, knowledge, and joy well it 's not just by, by sitting in your corner and praying, "Lord, I want to be awesome. I go out so when I am out there, I will be awesome that 's not the way you get awesome. <laughs> God God has instructed you, gifted you, so you go out and you start walking with him by the power of his spirit, right? Investing in others, building those relationships that he has given you, serving them as they also serve you, and you'll grow in wisdom and understanding and in joy. In wisdom, understanding, and joy. What are those things? Wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is the ability to live life well right the ability to live life well knowledge is this it's the ability to understand things around you things in your life understand how to fix an engine understand how to heal a relationship that's broken you can and see there's a difference between wisdom and understanding in that way or knowledge where you can know it but then wisdom shows you how to apply it that makes sense and then joy is simply the word here is gladness. That then your heart is, is satisfied by being able to go out and do that well. I think too many of us, um, we see work as a toil and as a labor and as a pain. And so, so we don't see ourselves as being able to be co-creators with God like he's intended us to be. And that's a powerful word and it's a true word. Is that God made you to Make. God made you to make. And and as you do that and you see the work of your hands, you are meant to be given joy by that. The third thing is this that work has a goal. So work is good, work allows you to receive the gifts of God, see the gifts He has already given you, see those applied, change the world. And the last thing is that work has a goal. And and we actually didn't read these verses, but, but I'm going to reference them. And, and then um, in chapter 3 is really where you begin seeing the, the goal he's calling you to. Because what it, what it goes to into chapter 3 is this. He goes, because look at, the, look at the world around you. This world that can seem meaningless at times. He goes, there's a time for a lot of things. There's a time for work. There's a time for play. Right? There's a time to born, die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And how do, how do we interact with all those things? And he says, again, in verse 9, what does the worker gain for his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He is, verse 11, just let your heart sing with this. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Guys, dwell there, live there. Like, this is so satisfying. Because because he goes, as you look at your life and you see it, it might not immediately fit. It might not immediately make sense. It might, might be that you are in a place or you are in a job where you don't immediately see where that works in God's plan. Where you're like, there is nothing happy about this. And and Solomon isn't just giving you a simple like God's good, God's great, God's gifting you. Like he he then goes, well look, like there is labor in this. There is still a curse that hangs here, right? There is toil. I have seen the burden God has laid on men because there is, right? Genesis 3 that that there are going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be sweat on your brow when you try mowing your lawn. But but what happens here, he says, but he has made everything beautiful in its time. So as part of work, part of this, this God has a goal in it. Is it, there a, there's, a, there's a part of faith that is required in this, that as you work, as you labor, you see in it, you are co-laboring with God himself. Because, because ultimately ultimately your work, your labor, the goal of your life isn't for self-satisfaction in a self-centered goal. But it's it's far bigger than that. And so that's where we use the word calling. You know the word vocation? The the Latin word for that literally means to call. And so the, the really neat thing about this is is, you're probably familiar with that. What's my calling? What's, the, the, the neat thing about that is, is that to be called requires that someone has to call you. Right? You know little kids when they're walking around with their Play cell phones and they're like... right? It's not that. They're making that up. Because they've watched you do it. <laughs> they're like, oh, I got a call. Like the, a, When a call comes in, it means that someone has communicated... And and that's literally what the call is. The the call is that God has seen you, created you, made you. And he's put on your life the ability, as you walk out, to see his beauty by co-creating with him. By fulfilling the things he's calling you to do. And we see this no better than in the person of Jesus. This is where, where we're so helped because because I think we can wonder what does that look like. With this this turmoil that I experience, this is what it looks like. And track with me here, please. In John eleven, Jesus is pre- preparing himself. He is praying for. for preparing himself for for what he's going to be experiencing coming up, which is going to be getting betrayed, getting handed over. This time that he knew was his, his calling. And he's struggling with that. This is not an easy call that's been put on his life. And he says... In John 12, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, isolated, only given to itself. But if it dies, it, it bears much fruit. And Jesus' life was that because right after that, then he prays. It says, then he's addressing the disciples and then he prays to the Father and he says, oh, if this cup could be taken from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Uh, Jesus is such an incredible example in this, because this is not necessarily easy. I'm not just saying, go laugh your way through your work day, because people will think you're crazy. (laughs) There's there's a specific offering that's happening here on the part of Jesus, where he acknowledges what his calling is, and he says, and I could try, even Jesus, he goes, I could try to remain alone in this. Just live for myself. But if I did that, what would happen? I would remain alone. But if I, if I sacrifice to all the plans I could make for myself, because then, then what will happen is I will bear much fruit. And that is this part where it says, and he and God has made everything beautiful in its time. And the way you see this work out, so that's John 12, John 13. It says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed... Him and his disciples gather in a room. And no one was there to wash their feet. And so Jesus gets up. And he goes around one by one and washes his disciples' feet. And and it says in John 13, and this is something to be noticed, it says, showing the full extent of his love, he washes his disciples' feet. That is the wording in there. The full extent of his love. You're like, how is that possible? You're going to go die for people. It's like... No, the full extent of his love was was all along the way. It wasn't just the cross. The cross is like glorious. But that wasn't it. Jesus didn't wait for that moment. All along the way, Jesus was showing the full extent of his love through things like washing people's feet. And so this is what we learn about work, toil, what you're called to. It It is this act of if you decide to hold to yourself, be true to yourself, and not serve anyone else, not sacrifice, you will remain alone. But if you, like Jesus, give your life, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and give my life as a ransom for many. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. That, that is ultimately the heart of your calling and your work. As you serve Others, you will bear much fruit. And some of that fruit, you will be able to see. Some of that fruit, you will never see. But in trust and faith, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. Everything beautiful in its time. And that's not just this short amount of time. This isn't just your mortal breath we're talking about. But it is about God and his eternal plan and the eternity he's put in your heart. Being fulfilled because you're part of something way bigger, way bigger than your little plan. So the offer Solomon's making here is: join the plan of God, serve others. Because sadly, tragically, we have made our work about ourselves. We have made it about gaining for ourselves. And Solomon later he talks about money. He says he says, Of money there is no one. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Right? And yet when we make it just about that sort of gain, we're like that that person in that parable in Luke twelve where it says, like you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. You didn't live with eternity in your heart. So see this. What does that mean for us as we work? This can mean a lot of different things for us, and I think sometimes it can mean one of these. But I, I want to list all of them so you can see the many beautiful ways this could could look in your workplace. <clears throat> As we serve God in work, there is ways that we can further the cause of justice. And I think I want you to think very expansively beyond just. Um, you know, oftentimes we think of social justice, which is very important, and the things that entails. But justice in terms of, of letting it be known at your work what is right and wrong, being a presence for righteousness there, a place where you can show Jesus to your coworkers. John thirteen. I'm not actually advising you wash their feet because they'd think that was weird. But in what way will you do that? To serve them in a way where when Jesus got down, everyone was like, I would never do that. In what way could you do that? <laughs> to work with skill and excellence, because God has given you skills. And, and when you employ those skills, <laughs> you'll be a blessing in a way that no one else can do that. God has made you uniquely to do that. You guys are gifted in ways that I am not gifted to create beautiful things because God himself creates beautiful things and by creating beautiful things you show the goodness of God. A way to influence your culture. Both your work culture and the culture around you. A place to be full of thankfulness. Being thankful because you have a job. Being thankful when someone serves you or does something for you. Next time someone brings you a, a piece of paper, or um, you know, something saying thank you to them, right? Not expecting it's just an obligation. Um, and ways that you can have also heartfelt service to others. Solomon uses the word heart in here a couple of times, and it's it's incredible because he moves it from this this like logical thing to realize that we are deeply impacted by these things. Work can be a place to live out your passions and and do what you do with great satisfaction. Work also is a place you can make money. And not just make money for yourself, but make money in a way to be generous with it. Um, A way to bless many people. A way to build the kingdom. Um, There are many things beyond these that you can do. But work is essentially this. Work is essentially a gift of God to be co-creators with him, investing in other people, and enjoying every day of our life. That is the essence of it. Right? Work is a way that we become co-creators with God. And what I mean by that is, is God, God's not going <laughs> to... Good example here. Right? When a tree falls, it just doesn't splinter into lumber. Right? <laughs> that would be God doing all the work for you. We, we are called to be co creators, co laborers with God. We take that tree and we make it into lumber. Do you guys realize what it takes to get milk in your fridge? It takes hundreds, maybe thousands of people serving you. Isn't that incredible? Work is the way we co create with God, it's the way we build relationships with other people and invest in other people. Somewhere along the way, there might have been a veterinarian that made sure that cow didn't die so I could have milk. I don't know. Like, like, all those little things. I mean, even think of the massive machinery. And you can just be like, oh, that guy moved the dirt with that bulldozer. But what about all those little tools it took to create that bulldozer? Right? Like, everything you have is this crazy inner working network of relationships that when God created, He said, this is good. And this is going to cover the earth. This is the way you cover the earth. The way you settle the earth, the way you invest and work together, right? That's a a blessing from God. So, God, it says, work is this. It's the way you co create with me, it's the way you invest in other people, and it's ultimately the way you enjoy every day of your life. You don't just enjoy the weekends. Find ways in your day to day where you are co laboring with God, you're investing in other people. And in that, work can be satisfaction. So guys, I hope, encourage encourage one another in this. This doesn't just apply elsewhere. This applies to our church. Um, and what I mean by that is, if you just come and you sit and you watch me talk, watch me work up here, <laughs> join in some way. It's the way the church also grows, the way relationships are built here. Right? <laughs> It, it doesn't just happen by you going, hey, come come, sing with us. In what way are you going to use your gifts and serve also? Can this be a part of the way God's created you to serve and love one another and spread, spread truth, build the kingdom? Um, guys, honestly, I am I'm not... I'm very incomplete without you. Um, and we share that together. Um, work is the way we serve one another, and so I pray that as a church we can serve one another well and in that just experience tremendous joy because we aren't just showing up. So pray with me and we'll worship together. But God, it is amazing to know that, that the more there's more purpose than just our plans, than just what I think up. But you have a plan. You have a purpose. And we are meant to be satisfied. And we aren't meant to just avoid the labor of our days. God, I pray that you will open our hearts to this truth. you allow us to participate. You'll free us from maybe lies that we tell ourselves that keep us from from enjoying you and enjoying those around us and serving them well. God, thank you for your word that reminds us of these things. It probably sings in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.